I'm just going to let the Lord call an audible. You can go ahead and be seated. I feel like this presence is where the Lord wants to finish today. This is not just, you know, section one, part one. But as I was just praying, Lord, what do you want to do? You want to open the altar? What, Lord, we came for you. And so I thought like the Lord just said, we need to open the altars for prayer. We're going to do communion. But we want to finish strong in worship. But he just put on my heart just a word to add to this season of worship. So if you would, get your word out for me. Worship team, you can, you can sit down. Morgan, if you don't mind, will you stand with me today? Thank you. She might mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Oh, I just love, I just so love the word of God. Lord, I... So, Thomas, I don't, I don't know how. So unfit, Father, to hold such a precious thing. Oh, God, I just pray today as we open your word, oh, God, open our hearts. I don't want to do anything else today, but lift the name of Jesus. Let my life, let my words, let my time be forgotten. But, oh, God, I pray in this moment, God, let me do something eternal. I pray, God, your hand, your spirit would do something eternal. I know, God, it's me. Dive into your eternal word. Father, you'll do just that. You're faithful to your word to watch over it, God, making sure that it will do and not return void. I thank you, Lord, today. Be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Alex, if you'll just jump down to the first, that first point. We've been in this... We've been in this series, One Body, and as we're talking about one body, you can't get away from uh, the concepts of the Lord's Supper. You can't get away from the breaking of bread and the cup of blessing. Those things are just interwoven into his body, and he uses this multiple ways. Paul uses this multiple ways to all come back to this single thing that you and I, we live off the same life. At the same life that he gave on the cross so he could live in us is what makes us one. That without that life in you, you're dead. Without that life in me, I'm dead. And that's what makes us one. We share a common life. And so communion is important because it helps us to remember I don't know about you, but there are some times that I, re I don't recall what my wife told me. <laughs> and I, I need some reminders. Because life gets crazy sometimes, right? Things come in our minds, out of our minds. We get distracted. And Jesus knew that. 
He knew that we had to do something that would always bring our attention back to Him. And so today, that's, that's what we want to do more than anything else is to bring our focus back on Him. And so he reads in 1 Corinthians 11, 24. Let me just, just, I brought my Bible today. I just felt it necessary. That sounds a bit weird, don't it? Preacher brought his Bible. Verse 23 says, we'll read this again. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. There's three purposes of the Lord's Supper I want to call attention to today. The first one is to remember the presence of the Lord. Remember the presence of the Lord. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And there are two things that are happening when he says that. The first off he is saying is, they're practicing the Passover. The Passover, the Jews practiced because they wanted to be identified with the people that the Lord delivered back in Egypt. They didn't want to just say, oh, that's the country but we belong to. But what they wanted to say was, we identify with the people that God sovereignly moved on their behalf. And we practice this to identify that those are our people. And because of that, he is also our God. It wasn't just remembering back when. It was he did that for me too. Because if he hadn't saved great-great-grandpa and grandma, I wouldn't be here. So that was the first reason why they were practicing the Passover, is to remind us of who we are. You and I, when we practice communion, we are identifying with what Jesus did. We are saying, when he gave his body, his life, when he went to the cross, I'm identifying. When I practice drinking of the cup, when I practice eating the bread, what I'm doing is saying I identify with who he was. He died and I died with him. That's why he wants our lives so we can give him the life that he died to to have. When we take communion, what we're saying is we don't have an identity no more. But we, we joyfully embrace his that, that, that no one would see us, that no one would see Scott Brandon anymore. Paul talks about that in Galatians 2.20. He talks about how I no longer live, right? It's Christ who was crucified, who loved and gave himself for me. It lives in me. So the first thing was is he died to remember who you, who you are, know who you are. And the second thing was is that he, he died so that you would remember his very presence. Remember this, when Jesus was with him, he says, do this remembrance of me. Jesus was alive. He was in their very midst, and he knew the disciples did not want to be without Jesus. They didn't want to be without his presence. When, when, when he told them of the plan, then Peter said, no, Lord, you can't go to the cross, and he rebuked him. They didn't want to lose their friend their Lord and their Savior. And so they were having that supper that night. They they didn't want to miss the communion that they had with him. 
When we take communion, we're remembering not just what he did and not just who he allowed us to become, but we're remembering the very fact that he is here even now. He's here right now. Now. You serve a very near God. That's why when he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, he means this right now. We're not just remembering a great man who did a great thing, but he is here even now. He was here this morning when I got here. He was here during practice. He was here just a few minutes ago in worship. And when we take of the bread and of the cup, he's going to be here again. Second thing is this, remember the provision of the Lord. We need to remember the provision of the Lord. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four 24 says, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my body which is for you. What are the purposes of the Lord's Supper? To remember his provision. Look at uh, John 6, chapter 47 through 51. He's talking about his body. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I'm the bread of life, and your fathers ate that man in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. That's a supernatural bread. So that one may eat of it and not die. That's a satisfying bread. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. That's a sustaining bread. And the bread that I will give for the life of this world is my flesh. I wish I had time just to preach this sermon. He's got a supernatural bread. He's got a, a sustaining bread. He's got a satisfying bread. And he has a sanctifying bread. We get that as we look at John 6, 63. It says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. If his bread is the life, then his life are the words is what he says. We, we get that the words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. That means that his body is the word. And we know that because the word was made flesh. I don't know where you're at in struggling with being more like Christ. But listen to me. The cure to your addiction, the cure to your sin, the cure to your temptation is found in the bread. It's found in the body that sanctifies you. It's sancti that means little by little, he cleans you up. Little by little, he makes you a bit more holy. Little by little, he makes you more like him until one day we'll behold him face to face and then we shall be like him fully sanctified but in the meantime we got to cling to the bread we got to hold this word close and near because your marriage won't make it without it your children won't know love without it your boss won't know that you're really a great person without it we need that word this morning. He provides for us hope, peace, love, joy, righteousness, redemption, eternal life, wisdom, strength, all those things. He provides for us in his word. And the last thing is simply this. Remember the purpose of the Lord. Remember the purpose of the Lord. 1129 says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. What body is he talking about? He's talking about 
his body, the body that he suffered. Why did he suffer? Why did Jesus give up his, his body? Because he wanted yours. He gave his life so he could have yours. He died the death that you deserve to die so he could have your life that meant nothing. And now he is in this place now using your body and my body to make up one whole body. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 17. He says, and though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. Showing that we are one body. You and I, we, we eat bread from one loaf. One loaf. And so that means if you follow Christ, you follow after him, if you love him, if you have this life that's living inside of you, that means you've taken of his life. It doesn't make a difference what you're going through. It doesn't, ma- doesn't matter how difficult life is. What matters is, is that you have his life. You see, you could be going through some real marital issues. I'm not, I'm not type shadowing here at all, so. <laughs> you could be going through some financial issues. You could be called to a brand new ministry. You could be asking the Lord to show your steps here at work, right? Maybe not. Maybe you're going down the bypass and it's early in the morning and somebody cuts in front of you. You got to remember, do you drive, William? You you ain't got that life. You got this life, Randy. But you're at the Walmart checkout line. You need to remember you got life, right? You get home and and the cats, you got cats? And the cats then ate things they shouldn't have eaten. Remember, you got life. You got people in your life that don't understand how to cooperate with you. You, you, you got... I gave you two. You got kids in your life that don't love Christ yet. I'm not talking about boo. You got, you got issues everywhere we go. But I want you to know is that you've got life in you. And what's so important about that is it makes no difference where you work or who you're married to or who you're being a part of or who you're in life group with or who you come to church with or whoever. You are the body of Christ because you eat of one loaf. And what I want to ask you this morning is simply this. If we all share a common life, Jesus, then what does it look like in your life when he lives through you? Because the only reason why you can do anything that glorifies the Father with your works, as it says in Matthew 5, 16, is because you have energy and sustenance to live that life out. And the only thing you're producing is what the bread of life is giving you this morning. Jesus is declaring to the world who he is through you the world wants to know who is this Jesus to us he's the bread of life and so much more 
He's used the body of Christ all throughout our lives and in our city. And not even just in our time and our era. But I also want you to understand, he's used people in the past and things in the past to declare who Jesus is. Right? The whole point is that the world would receive his life. That's what John said. To receive my flesh. If we look at Billy Graham Who is Jesus in Billy Graham's life that he received this bread? I would say that if you look at his life, you would say that he is is a loving Savior who cares for the millions. Now think about people like uh, um, John Wesley and Charles Spurgeon and Martin Luther and D.L. Moody. He was God. He was the God of holiness. He was the living word. He was, he was he who must be approached by faith alone. And he was the fire baptizer in their lives. Who is Jesus in our life? If, if we're eating of his bread, he's living in us. Who is Jesus to this world? If we really are the body. Jesus says in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. Can I tell you, oh, that Jesus has been telling us who he is for a very long time. If we were to go back to the beginning, here's what we would see in Genesis. He is the promised seed who will crush the serpent's head. He is the greater than Moses, the ultimate deliverer and the true Passover lamb in Exodus. The ultimate high priest and the perfect sacrifice in Leviticus. He is the true man of the source of the living water and the bronze serpent offering healing in Numbers. He is the prophet greater than Moses in Deuteronomy. The true conqueror and the captain of the Lord's host in Joshua. He's the ultimate judge and deliverer in Judges. Our kinsman redeemer in Ruth. He is the anointed king greater than David and the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant in 1st and 2nd Samuel. In 1st and 2nd Kings, he is the embodiment of wisdom, the true temple, the true prophet, greater than Elisha. In 1st and 2nd Chronicles, he is the eternal king in the line of David, the ultimate king, the restorer of the temple and the law in Ezra, the rebuilder of broken walls in Nehemiah, the unseen protector and deliverer in Esther. He is the greatest sufferer of righteousness in Job. He is the fulfillment of the messianic prophecies and psalms the wisdom personified in proverbs he is the answer to life's vanity in ecclesiastics the ultimate bridegroom and song of solomon he is the suffering servant the prince of peace and the everlasting king in isaiah he is the righteous branch and the new covenant in jeremiah he is the man of sorrows and limitations the shepherd and the one who brings life to dry bones in ezekiel he is the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven in Daniel. He is the faithful bridegroom. He is the one who pours out his spirit in Job. He is the just judge and the restorer in Amos. He is the judge of the nations in Obadiah. He is the one who has tasted a real death, had a real burial, and is the resurrection, and therefore is the greater Jonah. He is the ruler born in Bethlehem. He is the bringer of good news of the ultimate judge and victory over evil in Nahum. He is the ultimate answer to questions of suffering in Habakkuk. He is the king of Israel in Zephaniah and the greater temple in Haggai. He is the pierced one in the branch in Zechariah, the son of righteousness in Malachi. And that's what the Old Testament says. The New Testament says that he is the Messiah, king of the Jews in Matthew, servant king in Mark, compassionate savior in Luke, word made flesh in John, Ascended Lord in Acts. 
righteousness of God in Romans, the wisdom of God, the foundation of the church, the great substitute, the one who hung in my place so I could stand in his. He is the liberator, the head of the church in Ephesians, the humble servant in Philippians, the preeminent one in Colossians, the soon coming king and righteous judge in Thessalonians. He is the savior of sinners in 1 Timothy, the risen Lord in 2 Timothy, the great God and savior in Titus, the reconciler of Philemon, the great high priest in Hebrews, the Lord of glory, and James the living stone in 1 Peter. Oh, he's the divine son in 2 Peter, the word of life, the truth, the stand of truth and love in 1st and 2nd, 3rd John. He is the master and Lord. And in Revelation, he is the Alpha and Omega. <laughs> the faithful witness, the ruler of the kings of the earth, the living one, the son of man, the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb who was slain, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, the bright morning star, the Word of God, the bridegroom, the judge, and He is He who testifies, saying, Yes, I am coming soon. Oh, that's my Jesus. That's my Jesus. That's my Jesus. Hallelujah. She is my Jesus. He's my, he's my Lord. He's my Lord. Oh God. Oh God, who are you in Harrison faith? Who are you in Harrison faith? Oh God. None can compare. None can compare. Oh, we love you today. We praise you today. But Father, the greatest question you ever asked in Matthew, you said, who do you say I am? Oh God, I pray that we have the ability to answer that question today. Oh, Jesus. There's no one else but you. We don't need anything else but you. Come near to us. Come near to us. If you would stand today, the worship team comes back up. Man. We're going to do some communion, and I, I want to change... I'm so sorry for my voice already. I want to change communion today, and here's why. I want you to think about the steps when you come forward to receive communion. We're going to ask you to come out and come down and get your emblems and come back. And when you take those steps, I want you to think about the steps that Jesus took when he went to the cross. Every step he thought about you. Every step was intentional. He moved forward. Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He was moving our direction. 
Luke 9:51 says this, as the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set his face out for Jerusalem. He says, I'm moving towards you, creation. This morning, here's how it's going to work. Today, we're going to come down front and declare through outward actions, outward actions and inward reality, and it's that we choose Christ. That we're, that we're going to eat of the bread, he's going to use us. And so as the ushers come down, here's what I want you to do. In this section, I'm going to ask you to, row by row, just come out, circle in, and go right back to your pew, all the way back out. You'll exit out this side. You'll return to your seat on this side. This section right here, you guys will exit out this way. Come down, grab your emblems, and return back on this side. Decide to stay way over here. You're, you'll exit out, come down and receive, and return and go back that way. Colton, come over here just a little bit. Y'all get a little closer to my mind. But before we do that, before we do that, I'm sorry, balcony, y'all gonna figure it out. You guys are intelligent. I love you. I know you will. Before we take of this, Jesus said, and Paul said, we got to make sure that we're not guilty. We're not guilty, that we're not unworthy. And what does that mean? That means that we can't bring unforgiveness, that we can't bring sin, that we can't bring those attitudes that make us feel better than somebody else. We got to make sure that when we stand before God, even before we hold those things in our heart and in our mind, and our life is right. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, before we even set our feet out towards you, before we ever come to you like you came to us, oh God, search us this morning. Know our hearts, Lord. You know the things that we struggle with. Paul reminds us, God, the things I don't want to do, those are the things I find myself doing. And the things I want to do, God, those are the things I don't find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. God, today we're here to reconcile the wretchedness of our soul. Nobody in here is perfect or spotless. So, Lord, we lift up these blood-stained hands of ours. And we ask that you wash them clean. Forgive us, oh God, that we might be able to take of this body and of this blood with a true heart. And if there might be some here today, God, who cannot in good conscience, I pray, Holy Spirit, remind them of the grace, the love, the compassion that you'll pursue them today and tomorrow and the next day as we find you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you come as the worship team sings?